0: These are people that are operating, you know, in a world where they believe that, you know, the elections are stolen here and that, you know, the Anchorage Assemblies, all a bunch of self, you know, they're self-dealing and
1: enriching themselves through, I'm not entirely sure what method. Welcome to the East Anchorage Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gray. Today, we begin our exploration of the private Facebook group, Save Anchorage, These staunch Bronson supporters dominated the mass debate last fall and are currently fielding viable candidates in all our upcoming assembly and school board races. Here to talk about it is independent reporter for the Midnight Sun blog and newsletter, Matt Buxton. He is one of the most prolific journalists working in Alaska today and also hosts his own podcast with Pat Race called Hello Alaska. Matt Buxton, welcome to the podcast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, I just um, wanted to get a little bit of your background. Where are you from? So I'm originally from Oregon. Where in Oregon sort of
0: depends on who's asking, but uh, I grew up between Bend and Portland. Um, yeah, Bend in Oregon, and then I went to school in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places. So you know, go big red, and then found my way up to Alaska after that. Yeah. And
1: did you always want to
0: be a journalist? In school, I was really good at math and science, actually, and I kind of wanted to challenge myself. And I knew that writing and was was difficult. And I actually really wanted to become. I found really liked being a photographer, actually, and that's what I went to school for. And then part way through, realized that being a professional um, journalist, you know, photojournalist was not going to ever pay the bills. So I decided to the, the illustrious and lucrative career of being a print reporter instead.
1: Is that what you did when you got to Alaska? Yeah. Uh, After college, I uh, did a fellowship
0: in Berkeley where I did uh, reporting on the criminal justice system in California. And then um, did a uh, fellowship. I think it's called a resident resident intern, which is just a fancy word for we're really going to take advantage of you at the Oregonian for about a year after that. Um, in Portland, Oregon, and then, which I thought was going to be a dream. And it really kind of wasn't. And then the opportunity came up in Alaska, and uh, moved up and yeah,
1: did that. So you have kind of an interesting, uh, independent journalism thing going on uh, with the Midnight Sun. How did that come about? So I worked at the um Fairbanks Daily News
0: Miner for about 7 years when I moved here that's what I originally moved up to Alaska for um it was an interesting job you know I, I was kind of chasing a girl at the time and then uh, that didn't end up working out, unfortunately. And fortunately, I really fell in love with Alaska and fell in love with the um, legislative coverage. And you know, how can I, how can I do more political coverage? How can I do more? I just, I really always have liked the idea of public policy and and how that works and how a bill gets passed and all. Like I love the boring agendas in our lives. You know, I covered uh, the Fairbanks North Star Borough Assembly for a long time, and and I found just. I it, actually it was after the 2016 election when Trump got elected. I started feeling a little frustrated with the bound, the sort of the traditional bounds of you know being a sort of centrist reporter or you know being a reporter, and and I think I've, I felt strongly that that, you know, there is this sort of idea of false equivalency in, in the media. And so I, opportunity came along um, to take over the Midnight Sun. So to be clear, you know, there's a publisher that owns it, Jim Lotzfeld. He's a lobbyist sort of political guy, he sort of seems to do a lot of a little bit of everything. And um, so he owns that. So I, I do the blog um, through a contract and it's been a really great experience. Um, you know, he called me up one day and asked if I wanted to get do something, he was interested in doing something like this. And yeah, I didn't really know too much about him, and he didn't seem to know too much about me, but we had a brief conversation about some of our, like, kind of the way we see the world, and it worked out. And frankly, like, it, it, I came, was really wary, I think, a little bit about it, just because, you know, it was so it's such a different model than what we are used to with journalism for me it's it's been really freeing you know jim doesn't have you know any day to day say he you know i get a text from him maybe once every 3 months and it's hey the internet hey the website's down like and, and that's about it and it's been really great i think the new model you know an emerging model is you know patreon and sort of patronage politics and you kind of look back to like a lot... you know for the last, you know, centuries, right? And there sort of has been a history of, of people who, in the community, who've got the resources, who are, you know, value this kind of thing existing and help take care of it. And so, I, yeah, I've been doing that. And I keep on doing freelance work here and there. And then I uh, we launched the
1: uh, Midnight Sun Memo newsletter about a year ago. And it's been going great. Okay, Matt. Save Anchorage. What is Save Anchorage and why do we need to know? From the really basic viewpoint, it is a
0: Facebook group that is now closed that uh, we don't have a particularly good insight into uh, anymore. In a bigger sense, it's this like really virulent, quote-unquote, grassroots right-wing political effort in Anchorage that has... I think it's impossible to really separate it from a lot of what else is going on right now in the country as far as the political motivation on the far right when it comes to COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's February 10th right now and we're recording this. Um, today, the House um, Military and Veterans Affairs Committee held a very lengthy hearing on the Oath Keepers. I think there's just a lot of ways where those two things sort of mesh together, which is basically there's long been sort of anti-government, sort of conspiratorial factions out there to say the least, um, that I think were really sent into overdrive. During the pandemic, I think that there was this sort of almost violent backlash to the the mandates. I think it, it really, you know, blossomed sort of wickedly with a lot of uh, coronavirus conspiracy theories, with the election conspiracy theories, with all these sort of different things that kind of all sort of created this perfect storm of of like anger, right? Save Anchorage quickly became the organizing place to oppose uh, you know the leftists, right? That were running ruining this city and look at these kind of milk toast health mandates that they're you know shutting businesses down. And so, you know, it was an organizing point, but it was also, you know, a place uh, of rampant, you know, misinformation and disinformation about what's going on. The most sort of simple terms on the other end, it's it's this alternate reality I think that has sort of been created within our community that has enough followers and enough sort of energy behind it that it's, it's almost its own reality at this point. You know, these are people that are operating, you know, in a world where they believe that, you know, the elections are stolen here and that, you know, the Anchorage assemblies, all a bunch of self, you know, they're self dealing and enriching themselves through, I'm not entirely sure what, methods. I think it's really difficult to sort of grapple with um, for sort of the traditional political things. But one of the really important things that I want to talk about as far as this hearing today in the legislature about the Oath Keepers, which is this whole, you know, it's about David Eastman in the legislature and, and right wingers and white supremacists and all this sort of stuff. But one of the I think the really key points there, and I think that applies here is that the foundation is sort of built around an alternate reality of where you know yeah the the everyone's stealing money from you all this sort of stuff uh of and you know they're violating the law and they're violating the constitution and they're just tyranny you know it's i think and I listened to some stuff in advance for this I think I heard words like the demonic press and the cold civil war it creates really this sort of alternate reality that serves as a permission structure to be awful the city was truly stealing from you It was truly tyrannical it, it really wanted just to muffle kids and do all this sort of stuff like some of the some of the reactions that are are grown out of it the anger that you saw at you know these masking um, hearings almost makes sense right like you're going to battle against this tyrannical horrible evil government that is out to get you at every turn and and You know the lies and the misrepresentations in here feed into that anger and sort of it's this big becomes a big feedback loop and I think that's what's really interesting about it. You know the the researchers today were talking about there was you know a number of like just kind of everyday people that got swept up into January sixth. They truly believe that they were saving the country from you know tyrannical leftists who want to instill Marxism and it's like you listen and it's it's the wild thing is that. It's so difficult, I think, to, to really grapple with for a lot of people is just that the the reality that they're arguing against is so different than the reality that we are living in. The way they talk about the the health mandates is like, I, I have to like step back and be like, wait, do, do we want to shut down the schools? Do we want to like, I don't didn't think we did. I thought we all wanted
1: to get through the pandemic on, you know, in one piece. I thought we all wanted to like care about each other and get through it. I'm going to try to make an awkward segue, but I think it's an important one that'll kind of get us into an important area. And that is the de facto leader of save Anchorage is assembly member, Jamie Allard. When I listened to Dan Fagan's show last Friday and he had her on the show, his introduction to her was that she is their biggest hero and truly the one person in Alaska who could do whatever she wants, be the mayor, be governor, the sky is the limit. This sort of overwhelming upswell of of, um, hagiography, like this, the St. Jamie Allard coming from Dan Fagan. I think to those of us who have been to all these assembly meetings, hearing that was just shocking. What are your thoughts on leader, Jamie Allard.
0: Well, so, you know, I think we talked a little bit about the polarization, right? I I think I would argue that the one thing that I think everybody would want is is a fair system, you know, free of hypocrisy in our leaders, right? You know, I think you look at you can look at all sides and see some level of, of hypocrisy in there. But, you know, for Allard, it's just it's just wild to me. I think that there's two different pictures being portrayed. You know, there's what we see with your eyes and then what you hear through Dan Fagan's lens. And you know, I, I don't watch a lot of the hearings. I'll preface it that with that first. Is that but I you know you. It just—it looks to me like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, right? And so this idea that, you know, she's being painted as the next mayor, to me, is laughable. I'd rather have four more years of Dunleavy because at least he seems to, like, get the ropes of it. So there's that. And I think, you know, my introduction to her was this wildly detached like from reality defense of these nazi license plates right you know how willing somebody is to lie about stuff right because i think and misrepresent it because it was so clearly a nazi reference it was so clearly what ought to have been an easy layup for everyone to condemn but but i think what we saw is just a a level of, of political opportunism that i think is you know really disheartening right i think you know we could definitely be more critical of people on the left that that engage in similar sort of uh you know going with however the wind blows but man
1: <laughs> i i want to speak a little bit about that i think that impression that she doesn't know what she's doing on the assembly is appealing to people who don't understand how an assembly m- meeting works. And Joel Hall had um, spoken to us about uh, a while back about how there is an impenetrability of assembly meeting process, a level of complexity that makes it really hard to read that agenda, to understand what is happening at the meeting tonight and that inscrutability of what's happening in front of you causes the person on the other side the person who's not up on the dais to feel unequal like 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 they 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 have some some like crazy knowledge to understand what's happening and i don't and so i think when they see someone who also doesn't seem to get it, there's a relationship. They're like, well, she doesn't get it either. This is impossible.
0: You know, I think that the the masking fight was a really great example of, of that's like a, it's a, it's cultivated. Like, you know, I think her image of not knowing what's going on and being angry about all this stuff is like, is a cultivated and sort of intentional sort of look, and I think, I think, you're right, it it plays well, and especially it plays well, because, you know, I think I've turned tuned into times where she's like, well, could we hear the last two people in line? They've been waiting for an hour. And then you have someone stand up and go, well, does that, what does our charter say? And it's like, you just lost the argument right there. She might not have a great handle of it, but I think she's got a better handle of the political situation, especially... The save Anchorage, that far right political situation than anybody else in the room does. She knows how to, she basically knows how to, you know, she's like a, a conductor almost. On that level, she's beaten everybody at the game, right? I think there are times where, you know, I think that the progressive members on the assembly are their own worst enemies. I think that you look at some of the way that they handle the meeting and some of the ways that they approach things where you go, shoot. Let's recall them. Let's re- get let's get them all out of here because they they sound you know uptight. They sound holier than thou. You know I think there's a lot of that sort of stuff that I I think a hundred percent feeds into that kind of anger that I think you know Jamie Allard harnesses well. Right? I think she gives them direction and gives them area. I think and I think that's what is difficult though about it. What's is, is when I say you know, hypocritical and stuff is that. Yeah, there are problems. There are places, you know, where, you know, the the transparency could be better. But you know, so much of it, uh, of what is going on, is like instead of being in service of, you know, a fair, equitable process, is is just there to score more, rack up more political points within that realm. If political success was defined solely by, you know, how save Anchorage or however, whatever beholden audience you have. Feels then great, but it doesn't. I don't see how any of it really moves us as a city forward. Right? There's no, there's no equitability. There's no fairness. There's no, no opportunity in a lot of this. And that's what I think. For me, I I find so frustrating and so difficult with it is that you know it's almost creating drama and, and angst and division for the sake of it. Right? And I think it's it's useful to have. Aside to direct your anger, right? And to but you know, so it's like you look at the elections that are coming up. If the Bronson side gets their way, there would be much more, you know, Jamie Aller types on the on the assembly. And I, my question is, like, for what for what what's the end goal in that? Do is that more no bid, no oversight contracts? Is that you know what
1: what is the the end goal there? I think I think the end goal. I think you know you've got this is really really comes down to Trump and the big lie that you have one party that is willing to accept a loss in an election and another party that isn't. And I think that we see that at a local level, you know, Bronson wanting to have the municipal clerk be an elected position, you know, trying to get control of the election because I think it was Stalin who said it doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts, you know, getting the counter in place to create sort of a one party rule. Dan Fagan speaks about this yesterday on his show was talking about how it's fine for people like he was talking about a certain assembly member uh, that he doesn't like. He's like, it's, it's fine for this type of person to exist just as long as they never have power. And, you know, the point being like, you know we're okay with the other side existing they just cannot be in government and i think that is kind of the end goal the end goal is to create an environment in which people with expertise people with um sort of uh, experience won't have a shot because that won't be the deciding factor it will be loyalty to the party loyalty to the leader. I mean, I, I I do think I mean, it sounds like I'm talking about can't. like Soviet Union, yeah. but that is kind of what I see. It
0: is. Oh, it's totally what it is. And that that I think to me is what is so dark about all this. Right. That the, the that's that is the sort of the glint that we saw in the in the masking mandate was that it was there was a overarching like threat of violence yeah it was that threat of violence and i think that it's it's this sort of willingness to to break the rules as long as it's the the side that's right or the side that you believe is right and i think the legislature's doing a lot of talk about um there's a good hearing this week about um governor dunleavy's veto of their per diem right and and his, one of his members was talking about well he vetoed it because you guys didn't do what he wanted and it's you know it's a repeat of 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 the governor's veto basically of the court system over an anti-abortion ruling that he didn't like that is sort of breaking the rules you know it, it is interfering with an uh, a separate co-equal branch of government because they're not acting the way you want them to and and, and that is that is such a fundamental to me like violation of how things are supposed to work you you go you know you look at the anchorage assembly right there's a huge battle over the security in the room huge battle over the plexiglass all the you know the 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 meeting feed all that sort of stuff and to me uh, you know that yeah i think it totally speaks to this sort of totalitarian sort of strong arm thing where it's like you know, if if it seems like if Bronson gets his way, might as well just get rid of the assembly, right? Might as well just have a king. You might as well, and same, same with Dunleavy, right? Might as well to get rid of the legislature and get rid of the courts and just let Dunleavy do what he wants. And I think that is so foundational to uh, where this is going right now. And it, it is enabled by this, you know, this sort of line about, you know, the, the lawlessness and the tyranny of the left and, and that, frankly, the left sometimes, you know, gives them reason to to believe it, I guess. This week, uh, also, there's the State of the Judiciary. Um, Chief Justice uh, Daniel Winfrey delivered it. He's the first Alaska-born Chief Justice. And it was the 50th, 50th State of the uh, Judiciary. And he was reflecting on how, you know, 50 years ago, there was all this sort of political division and uncertainty and, and young people who didn't know where their place in the world. And he was a young person back then. And now he's, you know, he's part of the establishment. His kind of core message there is, you know, the reason you know, basically like we've gotten through all of this. We've gotten through the good governors, the bad governors, the indifferent governors. We've gotten through, you know, all sorts of different flavors of the legislature and attitudes and the budget and all that sort of stuff. But we we got through it because of the foundation that we've set, right, which is you know, the the legislature is, you know, the appropriate you know, the or the assembly, you know, exact is the same thing, you know, is you know, the lawmaking group, the 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 administration, the is executive branch, they're they're tasked with you know carrying out the policy, and the judiciary is there to basically call balls and strikes, right? And on all, on both levels, there, you know, on the state level and the on the Anchorage level, you, you're you're watching very quickly an erosion of that those kind of norms. And as having a uh, assembly that is not fully locked up with the
1: the mayor is a good thing. Big thanks to Matt Buxton, not only for being on the show today, but for his incredible output of high quality journalism. If you haven't already subscribed to the Midnight Sun Memo head over to midnightsun.ak.com and sign up. Big gratitude to Corey Coolidge for making this podcast listenable. We continue today's conversation in March with two experts on the group Save Anchorage, community organizer and original Save Anchorage member, Yaro Silvers, and the anonymous blogger, The Blue Alaskan. But next week, we have a very special episode with the founders of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators, Danielle Kemp and Rosalind Weich. They discuss their backgrounds and why they stepped up to advocate for better racial representation and curriculum in our school district. Please tune in.